Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy. I'm joined by the regular rugby crew, that is, Westy and Sam. We are back. It's the first podcast of 2024. Uh, it is the 2nd of January while recording this, which is uh, amazing. 2024, lads, it's here. Uh, 2023 flew by, I feel like. But um, we had a few weeks off there for Christmas, which was, which was nice, but we're back and we have... A win and a loss to talk about in terms of Connacht, but we will we'll get to that in a few minutes. But first of all, we will check with the boys. Uh, Sam, did you have a good Christmas? Did Santi come? Santi came to our house. Santi was very good to my daughter. Uh, got her the giraffe she wanted, got her the scooter she wanted. Uh, and as well as Santi being good to my daughter, my, her grandparents were very, very generous to her. So a lovely Christmas, uh, quite chilled, but on the road, wasn't, wasn't at home in my own house for... Yeah five or six days but happy to kind of be back we got we actually took all the christmas decorations down today we just decided it's like clear the head clear the space so uh nice christmas probably too much food not that much drink but when i did drink i drank too much so i'm i'm, I'm going to be the bill of health from now on i ate brown rice for dinner today it started but brown rice apparently is the biggest waste of time that you can ever do with so, so much but my missus yeah but apparently it's not that much better for you i know i've been saying this since day one but my missus is just as so we had to have brown rice. So okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, I had a pretty quiet Christmas. I have to say, went home obviously. Um, didn't drink as much as I normally would, which is good. Um, but met up for it kind of last night. Had some tasty pints in Glens uh, with yourself, Sam, uh, while what we watched some. Yeah, it means I rocked in the Glen starving, but like, yes, here we go, pizza. And forgot that it was a Monday, and they don't open on Mondays, uh, Tuesdays, or Wednesdays. So we had about, I'd say, genuinely six packs of crisps. Oh, yeah, there two was, of us. Yeah, there was two, there was two packs of crisps bought with three different rounds. Yeah, and your man came over and picked up all the crisp packets, and he looked at us with a level of disgust, uh, which I understood. It was a lot of, a lot of crisps, but we were, we were hungry boys. Uh, but yeah, good to be back in the new year, new me. Uh, or some resolutions maybe some resolutions going but Westy how was your Christmas? Yeah, my Christmas was good um, I had a nice bit of time off which is good I usually uh, have to kind of work the days in between Christmas and New Year's but I had those off this year which was really good um, and I had to kind of work yesterday which was a bit of a pain considering I was meant to go to the college match and then had to leave because I had to go back to work um, but yeah no it was a lovely Christmas uh, I have a lot of uh, nieces and nephews now this year who are really young so it's nice to kind of spend a, a few days with them in, in my parents house and um, yeah, I spent a few days with my partner as well. Like it was a really nice kind of. I think it fell really well this year, and that like it was that week. You know, normally if it's like if Christmas is Wednesday, New Year's is Wednesday, people are all off different days. Whereas because it was uh, Monday to Monday, most people had most people who weren't like obviously essential workers or, or in like that had majority had the week off. So it was a really nice relaxing uh, period for me. Anyway. Westy, your niece and nephews are called nibblings. Please use that nibblings. word. I always yeah. forget. I always think it's niblets, and then I just stop myself. And like, no, that's not it. I it's will accept niblets as okay. an answer too, because that's fun to say too. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah nibblings. We all uh, nibblings are fun to say. Um, right, we'll get stuck into some rugby. We had some URC uh, over the uh, Christmas period. Uh, we won't go too far, but obviously on the twenty second, uh, Connor played Ulster away in Ravenhill. Uh, we'll quickly touch on that game before we get stuck into uh, yesterday's or not yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Um, yesterday's results. Uh, Westy, disappointing trip up to uh, Raven Hill to lose by one point, 20 points to 19. It sort of summed up, to me anyway, a lot of Connick's losses this year, which has been we're very much in the games and we're sort of killing ourselves with kind of sloppy errors. But obviously credit to Ulster, they, you know, they got they got the win. 
um, in pretty pretty terrible conditions. But a disappointing kind of performance overall, I'd say, from from Connacht that day. Is that fair? Yeah, I think the with the exception of obviously with the exception of Europe and the exception of Bulls game, I think the three losses that we had, they're all by one or two points. I can't remember the the. As a drop mm-hmm. goal from Edinburgh, was that three points that they won by? They won by yeah. But it's all, you know, all kind of goes down to the last minute. And I think, look, our, our, we weren't sharp enough against Leinster. We gave them a chance to get in. I think this whole game against Ulster, though, we were quite loose. Like, there was a lot of errors around the pitch. The errors from them as well now as well that we were able to kind of capitalise on at points. But I think we're kind of our own worst enemy for most of it. I also think we kind of end up in a position where we just give ourselves a little bit too much to do at the end of the game. We kind of, they we let them build up a little bit of a lead or kind of, um, maybe don't keep the scoreboard ticking over ourselves the way that kind of, again, not to make it too dramatic, but the way championship teams do. Um, and then we have that situation in the Ulster game where we're kind of, we're trying to get a score and the clock has gone dead and it's kind of like, oh, it's a big scramble at that point. So, um, yeah, a disappointing performance overall. I, I still do think that we had the opportunities to win that game. Um, and it being so close makes it a little bit harder to take. But I do think, like, as much as logically we can talk about how difficult the Irish uh, uh, kind of setup is, where we've played each team twice and how important it is to get points off them. Like the Irish teams are uh, four of the best teams, four of the top eight, four of the top 10 teams in the league. It is going to be extremely difficult to get wins everywhere. So I think if you go away and don't get the points, but take the losing bonus points, it just so happens line up that like if we scored a try there at the end, we would have got a four try bonus point and, uh, you know, uh, as well. But um I think that the division is hard enough that you can't be too outraged that losses away. It's just frustrating. Similar to the Leinster game in the sports ground where you feel like you were in a position to win it and you just couldn't get that final bit of the puzzle together. Maybe now we'll say we got it against Ulster. We'll, we'll get to that. Or against Munster in the following week. We'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, a, a disappointing result overall. I think you look at the score. It's like, oh, well, that's not the worst result. But after watching the game, seeing the errors and kind of where we were at times in the game, it was, it, it was a tough one to take, I think. More so than it should have been. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's the hope that kills you, I suppose. But it it does lead on to what uh, how big of a game this was against Munster. You know, we kind of said over the, over the Christmas period we wanted to get. I think we would have accepted five points definitely from the two games. So having that losing bonus point against Ulster, albeit frustrating, it still set up um, kind of a look. A must win gets thrown around a lot in, in sports, but for the context of the season, uh, this game against Munster yesterday in the sports ground was huge. Um, we were all in attendance, well, at least all of us were there for the full game. Uh, Wesley had to depart, unfortunately, but uh, it was a huge, huge game. And, you know, the, the massive crowd sellout. Uh, we were there an, an hour before kickoff, and the, the stand was wedged, um, which was, you know, it's great to see. Obviously, not fun when you're like sardines in a can, but um, a huge, huge game. And Connacht get the win, uh, which is big, you know, big time performance from them. 22 points to 9. The scoreboard is a bit flattering considering um, Angier scored in 77 minutes. But overall, the lads needed a big performance to win. Sam, like we saw the Munster team. And, uh, you know, the Munster team, it definitely wasn't incredibly uh, weak. You know, you go through it. You had, you had Gavin Coombs, Tygburn, Tom O'Hearn, John Hodnett, uh, Jack O'Donoghue, Murray, Shane Daly, you know, Frisch, Nash, Zebo, that they're big names. The depth of the bench was definitely where they were lacking in terms of the game. And but and I think that's probably where kind of to get at the upper hand towards the end. But we we wanted that that win consider, considering it was at home, considering that the monster team in depth uh, and the lads delivered on the whole. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, it's one of them where Connacht have filed victim to the being expected to win 
tag a few times the last number of years uh, since going to the sports ground you go to like you know Leinster might rest a lot of players and we still think you know we still wouldn't get the win whereas in this one just the level of rotation that Munster has been forced by Munster with their injuries uh, the kind of lack of depth into the 23 I think the starting team wasn't actually that weak at all there was like you know like all those players you mentioned they're close some most of them are close to starting but I think that there was key positions like say second row where they were they were weak and then they lost someone else just before the warm-up and then the the bench was in an area where we as fans kind of went this is the team that we have to be able to beat this if, if we can't beat this now you're you, are you realistically in a shout for why why would you want to get eighth place in this because you're you've got no real shot at it so it was good to see Connick win a game that they should see as a winnable and expect to win that being said I said it a couple of days before I don't think you can really expect to win, especially not win handsomely any Interpro because players have shown time and time again that regardless of what 23 it is on a, on a squad, they're able to motivate themselves to get up for those Interpros. You saw Ulster when they came to the sports ground. We ended up winning at the end. They started like a house on fire and that was a team that you just you thought on paper, oh, they're not going to do much. But they players get up for Interpros because they know it's the shop window. They know it's their opportunity to shine and they know that it's the only, like it's the, the few matches there that they'll be able to just draw on that derby, that intensity, that does it does flow through players. But professional players are combative by nature, and they're they want to get that one up. Especially a lot of them, lads they went to school with, or lads they've been playing against each other since they were 14, 15. So it was a huge win in the context of our season. It was a huge win to get that win, especially being the favourites going into it, which you're not the favourites against Munster very often. So I'm uh, I'm glad we did get the win. There are the caveats there, and Munster fans will rightfully be able to say that their depth killed them and yeah it's really it's a horrible situation they're in with the amount of injuries and then the two more that were added to it yesterday they're they've they're going to really struggle the next couple of weeks until players get back but you have to be able to beat that team that's against you you can only beat what's in front of you and you have to do that especially given the run of form we'd had Connick needed something to bounce back because if you don't get those wins that you're expected to win you make it hard you make the Leinster away on the last game of the season a must win, which is, you know, that's what you want to avoid by getting these wins and these expected win games. Yeah, you made a really good point there about the, you know, if you don't beat this team now, you have to kind of reevaluate what you think Connacht are. Uh, and so sometimes there is games like that throughout the season where you're like, okay, if, you know, if, if they had a loss yesterday, we have to reevaluate where we think Connacht are in terms of their strength and depth. And luckily, we don't have to do that, which is great. Uh, the Ulster game a little bit more, but like again, Ulster they have had two incredible Interpro wins now back to back. But we'll get talking about the injuries in a few minutes because obviously they are big talking points. But um, I want to highlight a couple of performances here. Uh, Westy, we'll come to you. Balnam and Dave Heffernan, um, kind of in and out of form the last couple of seasons, but yesterday he was impeccable. Uh, eight lineouts from eight success rate, which in those conditions, that's very very impressive. It's great to see him back in a bit of form. Yeah, definitely. I think. Dave does get um, uh, quite a lot of criticism, especially uh, like some of it warranted, some of it unwarranted. Like I, I would say that he was unlucky in Ireland camps that he never really got um, got a, a ring, got, got, got a really um, got a few games together, or got a performance maybe in Ireland jersey. You know, some people often question why he was in the squad. We have questioned before, and definitely people have, have maybe rightly questioned. His line-out throwing and, and maybe one toward the facets of his game. I think one area that you can never really fault him, and that was definitely present the weekend, is his work rate around the park is just unbelievable. He's an extremely physical uh, specimen. He's an extremely hard-working player. Like, it, it seems the norm now, because we're so used to the likes of Dan Sheen and Keller, but 
uh, Dave was one of those first like dynamic hookers that we had in Ireland. And I mean, I say first, I know there were others around that time as well, but um, certainly for Connacht, it was a new type of hooker that we had finally. Um, and you've kind of seen that position or that role grow and develop. And uh, maybe rightly or wrongly, Dave, from an international perspective, was left behind. And um, we've also seen kind of like Dylan Tooney Martin have a fantastic season last season. Um, and he's a fantastic talent as well coming through. But yeah, it's great to see Dave kind of um, hit his own peaks again, right? You know, and, and maybe silence a couple of the doubters. Um, it is really difficult when you get a reputation for being a, la- a bad line thrower, no more than Carthy, a bad uh, conversion taker. Um, people tend to only remember the ones that go wrong and, and, and the ones that the games where you're perfect or the, the ways where you make the really difficult throws seem to kind of go behind you. But um, as much as I think that's really, really valuable, and, you know, I want to mention Connacht's defensive line out as well, but um, I think it's his work right around the park and his physicality and his, um, yeah, it just, just the tenacity which he goes after, not just the ball, but after work. So I think that's um, that was really apparent, especially maybe in those uh, slightly worse conditions where play tends to be a little bit tighter. Um, he was just relishing players turning back and running into him, and he had a great opportunity to throw them back on their arses, I think. Um, again, I don't have the dominant tackle statistics, but he was extremely, um, extremely prolific around the park, I think. Yeah, big time. Uh, another performance I wanted to highlight, uh, Sam, was Shane Bolton. Again, we've been big fans of his, uh, even when he wasn't playing a ton. Uh, but now he's thankfully had a few games in a row. Uh, again, he was he was massive yesterday. They, they targeted him a lot with the kickoffs uh, and a couple of up and unders. And not only did he not only does he catch them, he, he comes down and he explodes and makes a couple of yards, uh, which is part of the reason we love him. It's his attitude towards that as well. But He's he's been in a good run of form, and I feel like we still haven't really even like, scratched the surface with this guy's potential. No, definitely not. I think he he's managed to string a couple of games together for the first time since he came to Connacht, and he really exploded onto the scene in his first game. He scored a fantastic try, and then just string of injuries and not being picked for whatever reason when he was fit and playing some club rugby. Kind of thought maybe this is just one that's just not going to work out, and then I was really worried when we were looking at signing, re-signing players. I was worried that. You know, we'd heard rumblings that he's maybe a bit homesick and he might go back to South Africa. And I just knew he'd be a world beater if he goes to South Africa or if he goes to France or something. And the fact he's Irish qualified made it easier for Connacht to keep him for the year. But now he's strung this uh, uh, kind of run of games together and he's growing into it. He looks more confident across the board. I think you see what he can bring in terms of his power and pace with the tries he scored in the Ulster game. And yesterday, I think he added a difference. Like he was, he was a heavy hitting carrier in the middle of the field where you've got a a backline that has Bundy or a, a 12 channel that has Bundy in it. So you think that that's where the heavy hitting carrying is going to come, but he actually came through on kind of a shorter lines and took some of those carries off Bundy, which I think keeps a, a defense guessing. It's brilliant to have that. And it's a different type of winger than we're used to from Connick's point of view. And under the high ball, like you said, he was immaculate and that is so hard to be on in a conditions like they were last night. So I think if you can stay fit, Connick can re-sign him. I think he does have a big future. In fact, he's Irish qualified and low being the age he is. There, there is a chance, probably not this season, but if he continues to develop the way he is, the way he's playing, and if we continue to see games like that, you know, he's he's in the run. He's a, a Stockdale-style player. Stockdale probably get pick ahead of him still at the moment. I think his form is up, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him in an Irish setup if he can stay fit because of what he can bring in terms of that different type of winger, that that really powerful but also very pacey winger. Yeah, he's only twenty three. Like it's it's scary what his ceiling is. It's just a case of hopefully you know touch wood he can keep uh, healthy. Um, next performance I want to highlight is uh, JJ Hanratton. 
Um, I called it yesterday revenge game. You know, you, you love to see the revenge games in rugby, and this was one of them. I, I kind of tease with that, obviously, but um, that's why they signed JJ Hanratton. Uh, yesterday was a, a tough, kind of blustery, windy day, uh, and he kicked five penalties and a, a conversion as well. And he looked. You can tell, obviously, a lot by the body language after the kick. And he was, he barely had the ball kicked and he was bending down to pick up the tee. Like, it was just a case of, like, the confidence in the strike, the confidence in what he was what he was doing uh, was just unbelievable. And that is, I think we kind of say as well, because when Jack came on early for Carl Ford, we kind of wondering who would take the kicking kick duties. And it still was JJ. And I think that decision was proven right, Westy, wasn't it? It's just... It just adds such a different element to the game when you are confident of your kicker being able to slot. Like he, the last one he slotted was from what halfway line, pretty much, and it 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 covered easily. Yeah, I mean, we captain the kind of almost touchlineish conversion as well. I, um, it's a pretty difficult uh, conversion in the depths of the game, especially when maybe you could say that it doesn't really mean anything. Is that fair? I don't like when people say that really, because it always means something to yourself as well to get those points. But, you know, with the conditions in the game that he played, and I mean, having to go the full 80 as well for JJ, which probably wasn't the plan. Now, maybe when you see a 6-2 split, you can't say that uh, any player wasn't prepared to play the full 80. But, you know, in theory, maybe that wasn't uh, how the clock's planning it. Uh, pan that, but I think it's a really mature sign as well from Jack that when he comes on, he he's still because he kind of he took he takes over the captaincy duties right from Blade once he come on came on he seemed to be uh, the one talking to the ref, and, and obviously JJ had been preparing all week to to be the kicker in that game. I think it's uh, I think it shows maturity in a personal level, but also it shows kind of. Um, uh, kind of um, a bit of cuteness in terms of being a captain and that you're aware that players have been preparing for certain things all week and you want to cause as little disruption as possible. Like I said it to you guys when they when Carty came on um, that you had Ralston going to the wing, uh, Mac going, uh, sorry, Ralston going to centre, Mac going to wing and uh, it's like, that's a lot of people's roles now changing from what they spent all week preparing and that can be a very, very disruptive thing. Um but yeah, I think I think it was it was mature. It was clever not to change everything about it. And um, like Hanran, as you said, he validated it completely. Like, was it a hundred percent kicking record? I think, as, as far as I'm aware, I don't remember him missing. Uh, he missed one. He missed one. He missed one after the fifty meter one. He kind of tugged it a bit left. Oh, okay. like, yeah. one meter one. Yeah, yeah. fifty uh, fifty-one meters. Yeah. But but yeah, right. I mean, it's silly. He's he's nailing those clutch kicks, and that's something that we, we've said before in the podcast that can't just haven't had in the past. We. Now look, I, I would I will quote times that Jack Carthy's come through on the boot as well. You know, we we, wow. uh, we yeah we have Jack has come through often in moments when we needed points. But it's about we said at the start of the season as well uh, those games where we were building penalties early on, and 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 in conditions like that, this was always going to be a game where penalties were going to be key, um, and how you use them. Um, and penalties were key for Munster and in the way they managed the game, but mainly in the way the Connacht defended the Munster lineup and were able to disrupt and even you know kind of score a try off the back of it at the end. But um, no, one thing I would say, and like it comes down to the conditions as well. I think at times our attack didn't look overly exciting or, or dangerous necessarily. I do think that maybe uh, with JJ, it's uh, obviously I think Jack, I think Jack has kind of a higher ceiling. Uh, and JJ is more of a stable player around the park because it doesn't massively change when when Jack takes over either. But with those conditions, you're never going to have this massive, expansive 
back play as much as you try it you know the weather will make an idiot of you as it always does so um, I think they manage their roles really well together and I'd be excited to see that kind of relationship evolve because in the past we've seen kind of Hawkshaw be on the bench if Carthy's not starting uh, because he covers more in line of defence but um, it's nice to see that JJ and Jack are able to have this kind of dynamic on the pitch and that, that it works well right that there's not uh, we don't see kind of egos and, and chaos kind of take over I really like that dynamic as well, Wesley, you've been talking about, because as soon as Cardi comes on, it looks like JJ's gone straight to fullback. So I just went, okay, well, that's the that's the game plan. But throughout the game, it looked like they were kind of picking and choosing when they were first receiver, when they were the 10. It didn't look glaringly obvious who was the out-and-out 10 for the entire rest of the game. They were splitting it a lot. They were one on each side. And if that is the case, because, you know, I prefer Mac on the wing, Porty hasn't seemed seemed to be in contention this much this season very much, and Tiernan's out injured, uh, and so is Santi Cordero. So if that is the case, you know the option is there, and that he did try it the first game of the season was that Jack came on and he came on, and the, you didn't know who was ten, who was fullback, and then he went off with the the face injury. So I think that that is something that the coaches are actually looking at, maybe that dual playmaker and having the opportunity to have JJ starting with fifteen on the back of his jersey, but they're two tens, two fifteens on the pitch, depending on where you're attacking, where you're defending, what what side of the pitch it's on. So it's a really interesting dynamic because it did it wasn't throughout the game glaringly obvious that JJ was the out and out fifteen and Jack was going to be the ten. It looked much looser than that, which I thought if it's definitely something they've worked on because they had Jack in a six two split. So that was they they wanted that dynamic to be the case at some point. You know, you if you're you pick like you said, Hawkshaw in that uh, 6-2 split if you want someone that covers more across the back line. So I, I like that, and I, I'm really interested to see if they go with it again. Yeah, it's, it's another strength of the bow. But, you know, it's another situation where it's, you know, it's a silver lining out of the Cahill Ford injury now was that dual sort of, you know, playmaking with, with Jack and JJ. And at least you know they have you have that in your back pocket now for whenever that situation is needed, which is great. Uh, let's talk quickly on injuries because there was quite a few in the game. Cahill Ford went down pretty much about 10 minutes into the game. I think it was a shoulder. looks like a shoulder injury. Uh, let's hope that he's okay. Uh, Blade went off. I don't know necessarily was it due to injury. I think he failed the HIA. I think McDonald came on for that. Um, hopefully, again, he's okay. And then, obviously, Hansen uh, went off late. looked pretty pretty, pretty bad, holding his wrist, maybe his elbow. Kind of Someone said dislocated sure. shoulder on Twitter earlier. I uh, it looked it looked wristy, but it also just looked like he could be holding himself his arm up. So hard to know, but it it didn't look pleasant at all. Yeah, apparently, look, we haven't seen a clip of it. Uh, we we obviously didn't see it in, in the stadium, but apparently, it was pretty. Um, it looked like a bad clean out, uh, which we'll get to talking to as well when it comes to Connick side of things. But apparently, Harden it was a pretty pretty bad clean out on Mac, which caused the, the injury. Uh, again, haven't seen, doesn't seem to be any clips online of that, which is frustrating. But obviously, on the other side, then uh, we had the injury to Jack O'Donoghue um, and Ollie Yeager. Ollie Yeager went off. Uh, looked pretty bad again. Look at on the replays. Didn't look to be anything foul play. It just seemed to be a rugby incident. Both Connacht players were hinged pretty, pretty uh, at ninety degrees, and Jaeger comes in pretty low as well. And unfortunately, I think there seems to be either a clash of heads or, or shoulder as well. Um, and he got stretchered off too. Um, let's talk about the Jack O'Donoghue incident with Byron Ralston because uh, everyone seems to be pretty unanimous, or at least online, that it was a red card. At the time, I have to say I, I didn't think it was. Um, it looked like to me like he doesn't come through the side and it looks like he kind of slips onto the leg of Jack O'Donoghue. Now, is it sloppy and dangerous? Yes. I think there's no probably getting around that fact. I don't think he means that there's definitely no intent there to, to take out the leg. 
Um, so it, look, if 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 that's a red card, if that had been given, you probably couldn't argue with it too much, uh, which is unfortunate uh, for Bayern. I don't think Bayern would ever try and do something like that. I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, that there was no intention there. Uh, it's unfortunate Jack O'Donoghue, who you know shouldn't probably be there at the same time, doesn't release. Uh, he's in a legal position, and I think Byron comes in tries to try to clear him, and it ends up jarring his knee, and it does look sore. Uh, so let's hope that it's not as bad as first feared with Jack O'Donoghue. But I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of fifty fifty on this. I thought yellow was kind of fine at the time, but then again, seeing everyone pretty unanimous online that it was a red. Westy, where do you fall on this? Um. Uh, yeah, well, at, at the time, at the time, I kind of don't really think I thought it was a card. I kind of, I'd say I'm the same as you, but maybe I started at a, at a lower point. At the time, I thought it was probably just a penalty for kind of sloppy technique. But I suppose any time you uh, bind onto that leg, uh, especially when you don't already have, you know, sometimes if you make contact with the shoulder, you know, famously, uh, Sam Orban a few years ago did a demonstration of doing it. It's been, it was made illegal like a year before he did the video. But when you make contact with the shoulder, even if you try and hook the leg underneath to, to take them off balance, I think that's that's still uh, illegal now in terms of clearing out. But um, I think, yeah, binding onto the leg and, and driving, it's I think at best it's, it's, it's poor technique and it's sloppy and at worst it, it is really reckless. So I think the yellow is, is, is fair in this instance. At the time, I, was, I thought my penalty was... Fair, if not a little bit harsh. I kind of just thought it was an instant the way he comes in, but um, yeah, I've watched it back. I think it's a little bit more serious. Um, maybe a red. I think if it was a red card. I'd be complaining about it. So I think probably a yellow is is the fairest way to go with it. But um, I know it is a really dangerous part of the game. So it, it is something that like you know, rooks and rooks shouldn't be won on you know how sneaky you can be. It, it, it's meant to be a physical contest. It's meant to be a, a contest of technique, not who can you know cheat the rules the best. So uh, I can see where people are coming from saying it's a red, but for me, I think it's probably probably a yellow is fair. I think again, what 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 doesn't help obviously Byron is the injury. Uh, I think the problem is that it, obviously Jack gets hurt, and that obviously makes it look worse. And is that refereeing the outcome? I don't know. I think that probably exact same rooking technique was probably done 10 times in that game yesterday and you just don't know it or don't see it because no one gets hurt um, is that making excuses potentially if there's other way around would, would we be livid and calling for cards potentially as well it's kind of hard to it's hard to know your own bias sometimes but I, I definitely in the moment I thought it wasn't a red card um, and seeing it again the angle the angle's hard to kind of tell as well does he come in from the side well, Sam what, what, what's your thoughts yeah, I was, I'm the same as the two of you. In the, in the ground yesterday, watching it live, it looked like a bad outcome from someone coming, you know, trying to get low because if you go too high, you hit them in the head and you get the red card a la Bundy last year against the Stormers. It's a split second thing. He's trying to go through it. Uh, when I've seen it back, no, I do think I actually, I agree. I probably, it probably is a red, to be honest. I think, you know, you're not allowed to go for the leg. You're not allowed to make contact, hit the leg. He does. And that's, it, it's a very unfortunate circumstance to happen but i think you can still get reds from accidents like i i do i do agree with that and i the the anger that's being thrown towards byron ralston is i think anger at the outcome which is the injury which is par- probably partly to do with the pitch itself not giving in where see you did your mcl the same in in the craig's pitch last year with something similar where the foot doesn't slide back i've i've watched it time and time again now online on the on the clips and you see the different angles he comes over bundy's legs bundy is it's actually really bad placement bundy makes the gate so wide he comes over bundy's legs so he's not gone in the side he looks like he's hitting him on the side from one angle and the other angle he looks like he's gone straight back through it he's right there and o'donoghue is up straight away illegally but over the ball and so low that he's given him nothing to aim for 
And Byron's done the thing because if he leaves him, coach goes, why didn't you try and get him the jackler off it? So he's done the thing. He's made the split second. He's not even made the decision. His, his body has just reacted and he's gone in. And he's gone in, from my in my opinion, gone for the shoulder and missed and made contact with it. His arm's probably a little bit tucked, but I don't know if you can wrap when there's another person there. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that it was complete accident, a freak accident, and he probably absolutely gutted for it. And any calls to say that he purposely went out to end someone's season or a potential career-ending injury I've seen thrown around as well. I think that's putting a huge, like a really horrible accusation towards the character of a player. In If you watch it, not in the slow-mo video that's doing the rounds on Twitter, if you watch it in real time, he's a metre away when the tackle happens. He's, he's not charging in from 50 metres. He's not making decisions. He barely has time to think. It's his body reacting and he reacts badly and he... he gets mixed up and he hits the leg and the leg doesn't give because it's the AstroTurf. And like you said, there's probably four or five more hits the exact same throughout that game where people make contact with the upper leg or with the hip or places that are technically illegal as well. But the re- the, the rook is just reft quite lenient often. So I think it's a horrible situation. And I presume he's he's at home feeling really, really horrible at, at the outcome for it because you don't want to see a fellow professional injured. But in my mind, I think it is probably a red because it's just... It's a little bit on the reckless side. It's bad technique. And you, I think you can still get a red for bad technique or bad management. But I don't think there's malice in it. And I'm, I'm not saying you ref and you award red cards based on malice or not, because I don't think that you can truly define whether or not someone has done that or truly decide whether or not they've done that. But from watching it, it's so quick. He comes through. It's it's a poor judgment and aim and it's it's a, the most horrible outcome. And I hope now that it's not as bad as it feared but it looked very bad and Jack Adon who is likely out for a long time but he could also miraculously recover from this uh, you don't know but it just it doesn't look likely just the way his foot just stayed in the ground and his knee moved back it, it's quite gut-wrenching to see so I, I think the first and foremost you just kind of hope that Jack Adon who can get back fit because for his own sake his own career it's, you know he you want him fit and then for Munster's sake they don't have very many fit players at the moment either so it's it, that's it's a really horrible outcome but I, I think it's quite unfair of people online and yeah people are passionate but I think it's quite unfair of people online to just assume that this lad who's got like two career yellow cards he's only 23 made a decision in less than a second to ruin someone's career or to end their season I think that that's a mental thing to put on any ac- accusation on any player and if you made that accusation about a person day to day they'd rightfully fucking take you to court over a slander like that sort of thing so it's it's a hard it's a hard place to be in but at the time I didn't think it was much I thought it was just bad rucking and a poor outcome and then I've watched it back and I think no it's probably probably warrants a red and probably will be cited and get some sort of ban but it's a it's a harsh one to call intent yeah it'll be interesting to see if there is citation over that. Is, is it similar to the Shannon Frizzell in the World Cup uh in the final when he got yellow card for that he kind of lands down on the player's leg as well um Again, it's it's bad technique. I think if it was a red card for bad technique, I'm again I'm more understanding of that uh, that outcome than just because a player got injured. You know what I mean? I think that. And yeah. again, Busby didn't give a red card. Like you know, referees are very quick to give red cards these days, and he doesn't do it. Um, so there is a lot to be you know that has to be mentioned as well as that the referees talked it through and didn't give the red. Um, no one seems to be. Look, I, I just don't want it to be like oh refs were biased towards one team like you go through 
there was direct head contact on Buckley, I think, from Hodnett. We haven't seen the clear out from, from Hodnett as well on Mac Hansen towards the end. Connacht yeah. also, Byron also got away with ha- a high tackle on Zebo that wasn't checked. Like, it happens, yeah. both teams Nile, get away Nile with it. Moraes hit high, Ali Yeager, it's, it's not a great tackle, you know, maybe they're looking at something there. So, I think throughout the game, there's plenty of examples of the ref not making decisions. And that's, we were talking about this in the bus yesterday. I actually... I think if you're talking about refs anymore, like I, I was in, I was very much in the camp that refs were poor for quite a while. And I was saying it on this podcast and then I'll kind of come, come to terms now. I actually think refing rugby is too dif- difficult. I think m- more than seven times out of 10, the conversation is that the ref had a bad game. And I think that that's, be- that's part and parcel of the fact that maybe there is a substandard of refing in world rugby across the, across the leagues. But also I think the, the nuances of the game and the having to, you know, ref interpreting the laws, playing a certain ref the way it is. I think that that has just become overly complicated and microscopically analyzed because of social media and because of TMO intervention. And it's become an, an, an almost impossible job for them. And I think I'd say seven out of every 10 games I watch or I, I hear about online, people are saying the ref was poor. That's, that's It's got to prove that the game is actually almost too hard to ref. And I was one of those people. I was the one calling for saying that there was poor refs in the league and I do still have refs that I think are poorer than others but I think that it's too common now for it to not be an actual thing yeah I think I think there still is like, like Busby yesterday there was a few small like getting some decisions wrong is that's only human but there was there was too many small little like knock-ons that's so obvious that weren't called and again I think that comes down to your touch judges as well I feel like that they don't have enough input in the game like we're watching the game there and, and there's like clearly offside lines not being, you know, withheld for both teams. And the touch judge is there looking at it and just obviously doesn't say anything. And that's, you know, you need to help the referee out too. I agree, it's too complicated of a game at times. There's too much going on. There's also, like, no responsibility on the players for, for doing the right thing either. You know, they yeah, they get applauded for getting away with stuff. And that's, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure there as a ref from the get-go, uh, which is really, really disappointing. But, look, there's definitely small... You know, there's low hanging fruit for referees when when it comes to improving, but I agree it's it's too complicated at, at times. But anyway, look at we don't like to do referee talk, but um but I want to move on to one more thing before we wrap this game. Westy, Connock's defence yesterday, I think, in ninety nine percent of the game was uh, fantastic. Um to only concede nine points through three kicks from uh, Butler, who I thought actually thought was quite impressive yesterday. Um that that that's huge. Like Munster never looked like breaking us down yesterday. Watching the game, the only time they looked dangerous was normally kick returns from Zebo or, or the back line. Uh, but like when it, when it actually got down to phase play, Connacht looked like they were very very easily holding uh, Munster out. Is, is that what you thought? Yeah, d- definitely. I think it's definitely the best defensive uh, shift we've put in. I think even scoreboard wise, you can see it's the best defensive shift we put in. But um, particularly in maybe the second half of the first half. Munster spend quite a few times kind of camped our line, quite a few lineouts in the corner that we either get up and disrupt or uh, we manage to hold them out and push them back. And I think the tackle stats are something, I think Connacht had over 200 tackles and then Munster had about 120. We had about 94% success rate. Like I said about Dave Heffernan's work rate earlier on, I have in front of me here, he had 21 tackles in the game, two of them dominant tackles. Seamus Herlang on 23 tackles. Like the, the work rate that our that the lads put out in that game was outstanding. And it just goes to show that, you know, like Sam has said it before, and I'm not saying that it's solved now, but it shows that these guys know how to defend. And, and when they're, when their heads are up and when they're, when they're all working together, it, it's, it's really, really, um, 
you know, it's, it's not that they don't know how to make these tackles, it's not that they don't know how to defend, it's just maybe sometimes we uh, either lose focus or are in transition and, and, and so on. As you said, there was dangerous times still on the counter-attack from, from Munster, but I think our goal line defence uh, was particularly impressive in the way that we, we held Munster out. You know, again, I would say particularly in the first half and, you know, I, I'm blue in the face saying it's, it's my new catchphrase, but those championship minutes at the end of the first half, that is a massive, massive moment of the game where we managed to, you know, we get a yellow card and then manage to keep Munster out and get into the sheds with our heads held high, right? We're, we're behind at a scoreboard. Is it, is it, is it 9-6 or is it 6-3? I, I can't remember exactly, but um, we still, we, we maintain it in that moment. I think that's absolutely massive going forward. And just on defence as well, our defensive lineup was absolutely outstanding. We got up and spoiled so much of their ball. The one thing I still think is missing, and maybe we'll touch on when we get to the Leinster game, is that the second try for Leinster, where they go for a drop goal and it hits off the post and someone catches it. There's two passes that hit the ground, but they manage to recover it and still score in the corner. So there are these moments where we get up and we disrupt the lineup, but we almost seem shocked that we've done it and we're not ready when a ball comes back down. It's just that kind of, we do something good, but then something happens and we don't react to it. And I think that's that last kind of, well, not that last bit, but one of those things that we're just kind of missing, okay, extremely difficult in the conditions that we had on, on uh, I was going to say Saturday, but it was Monday, uh, here in Galway. Um, but it's just one of those things I still see has been a problem. We're so good at getting one thing right, but we tend to follow it by two mistakes afterwards. So um, defensive line, that was absolutely outstanding. Huge work from, from Darren Murray and Niall Murray when he came on. Um, and the rest of the pack, of course, as well. Um, Big, Big Joe Joyce, of course. Um, but yeah, it's just how we like again. I've said it before we set these brilliant strike moves off the back of lineups, and Monday is not the day that these things are going to flow really well. But it just seemed like we get on their skin with the lineup, we do so well, and it's literally the last minute of the game before we're actually able to capitalize on disrupting one of their lineups, you know, like well, in a in a tangible sense, let's say, obviously, you always capitalize from disrupting a lineup, but um, yeah, huge defensive effort all around, I think. Was two. I think as I think as well. What I really like to see the last ten minutes yesterday was how Connacht managed the game. Like the, Jack had a great kick that led to that try where he just pinned them back on the five meter line, and that's that's when you know that's why you do that so that if there is a mistake, you're actually on the try line and you can dot it down. And you know we've criticised Connacht in the past for not managing games like that well. Like we were six points up with ten minutes to go. And we were all, I know, we probably we'd never admit the time, but we were all like, oh God, this is, you know, I'd rather be, I'd much rather be eight points up than six points up here because of what Connacht normally do. So to go actually and manage the game well, like the restarts in the last 15, 20 minutes there, there was no mistakes, there was getting the ball out. It was just simple things that we haven't done well in the past that we did yesterday for 20 minutes to finish the game. And, you know, shocked. We're all shocked. We won the bloody game with that, with doing that. So it's, you know, we have been calling for that for a while. Now we got it yesterday and it led to a, a victory. But sorry, Sam, you're going to say something there? Yeah, I was just, uh, Wes, you were talking about kind of our defence and I was so impressed. But it was a, a moment kind of between, I, I think now I have to watch back, but, but between about 62 and 72, where they had two really prolonged periods of uh, possession. You know, you're talking about 18, 19 phases in that weather. And I was just expecting a knock-on, expecting a knock-on. But my biggest worry at the time was us giving away a stupid penalty and giving them an easy into the uh, 22 or to giving away a penalty and giving uh, them a, a shot at goal. Our discipline has been poor and it wasn't great yesterday. But for those two prolonged periods of time, we were good as gold. Every tackler was gone. They were rolled away. There was no one looking for a jackal because they just didn't want to give the ref any decision to make. We just tackled, got up defensive line, tackled, got up defensive line. And something that you've seen with Leinster for the last couple of years was 
a lot of times Leinster aren't contesting on the ground for the ball. They just tackle and get up and get defensive line and they just wait for you to make your mistake. And it took, you know, I, I was impressed by Munster. I think I whispered to you, Smurf, I was like, geez, they've not made a mistake in this weather. They've been passing, they've been hitting, they've been passing, they were hitting for close on 20 phases twice in the space of about 10 minutes. But we were just so solid defensively. We didn't really give them a yard. We got knocked them back a couple of times. And then once Keen Prender got shot up out of it, made the tackle and we got over the ball. And then another time we forced a knock on. But to have that kind of good as gold, butter wouldn't melt mentality in times of prolonged defending, I think it's something the Connick need to continue to do because oftentimes we get maybe a little bit too zealous and a little too aggressive on the ground. And Keen Prendergast is one that does. And we give away a penalty. We give them an easy in, whereas they, they just looked impenetrable for those minutes. And I, that was to me, I was going, yes, that's exactly what I want to see. I actually don't care about turnovers. Just defend. And if we just keep defending with 15 man men in the defensive line, they're going to find it very hard to break down. Uh, yeah, we'll move on from the Connacht game. Great win. Um, Leinster and Ulster were also in action after the Connacht game. Um, and Ulster go up to Dublin and get away an away win, which is absolutely huge. It's a big two weeks there for Ulster, uh, considering their season. Uh, they win by 1.22 points, 21. Um, and Ulster fully deserved, I think, that win. I know there was a lot of backlash from fans, and rightly so. Uh, RTE basically their whole post game was how Leinster didn't win this game rather than how Ulster won it um, and rightly so I'd be pissed off too if that was and that's what would happen as well if Connacht bet Leinster in Dublin but um, Sam huge win for Ulster is things starting to click here as I said it's been two big Interpro wins now in a row um, and the Racing game before that and the Racing game before that yeah it's, it's been huge is, is things turning around here or is it just a, a run of form I'd, I'd find it very hard to say that they're going to be perfect from now on because of what they've shown this season, you know, and even last season with having good displays and then poor displays. So it looks like a, it's a nice purple patch and they want to capitalise on it because they want to try and accumulate enough points to kind of just solidify their places in that top six that they'd be looking to every season. So they'll they'll be delighted with that result. Uh, this is going to pain me to say, but this is the only time in the last number of years I've wanted Leinster to win a game because I actually think Ulster are probably in the fight for eighth with us as opposed to in the fight for first with Leinster. So I was kind of going, just let Leinster run away with the league and take points off everyone else. And then Ulster going, fucking do that. And I was like, oh, Jesus. But uh, no, I, I it looks like players are playing with a little bit more confidence than they were, say, a couple of weeks ago. I know going into the Racing game, a lot of the talk out of the, the Ulster fan forums and uh, on the Red Hat podcast was that players are just lacking in confidence. But I think if you see even like the likes of Stockdale yesterday or Doke towards the end, you know, they seem to have confidence. And if they have confidence, I think that they are capable on their day of beating anyone. So it it looks now rosy enough, but they're an, only a, a loss, a bad loss away from home or a, at home away from it being the end of days again. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they're they're fixed. I would just say that they're on a nice purple patch and they should take advantage, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, ultra fans, that's Sam uh, underscore pig on Twitter. Uh, you can direct all your abuse towards him there. So Westy, can you maybe turn around and say something nice about Ulster there, please? I said loads uh, of nice. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> so harsh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, particularly Timmy's first. I think, I think Billy Burns had a great game. Uh, we have been quite dismissive of Billy Burns, as have a lot of people. Um, but I think in that game, he showed really what he is capable of. I mean, especially, specifically the first cross for the kick to Timmy, but both. Well, all of that cross kicking was was pretty outstanding, but to find that target um, again, the conditions weren't great as well. 
similar to the conditions in Galway, but maybe not quite as bad. But uh, just a fantastic performance. I think Cooney the last couple of weeks but against us as well was really strong. Uh, Stockdale's gone from kind of strength to strength the last few weeks. I don't know if he's quite back in contention for an Ireland jersey just yet, but he's definitely doing himself no uh, uh, no ill will going forward. Um, I think he would be now with Max injury. I think he's very... Yeah, much- sorry. Yeah, with, with Max injury, that probably changes things. But as well, uh, you know, I think Billy Burns was saying it in the interview after the game, like, they very clearly had a game plan. They very clearly had something to go after in that Leinster game, and it really, really worked for them. Um, so I'm really happy for... I, kind of, I was nodding along with Sam said it because... Um, I was talking to my partner and she was saying, God, it's weird that you don't want, it's weird that you want Leinster to win. I was like, yeah, well, we kind of need, like, so if Ulster had lost, we'd be level on points with Ulster and Munster um, and it would be kind of, you know, maybe for the betterment of us later on in the season. But um, no, I like Ulster, I like the team. I'm really happy to see them playing well and doing well and capitalising. It was a very similar kind of way that they, they got under Rassing skin early and were able to build a lead through very intelligent game management and then hold on to it and, and, and even build on it. But um yeah, I thought it was a great performance. I thought it was a great, great game to watch, and I'm, I'm really happy for Ulster, despite the fact that it makes um, our qualification slightly more difficult. But it's a long season yet to go. Yeah, I think uh, just on the Stockdale point, yeah, I think so too. But uh, obviously, you know, Simon Zebo will be starting uh, all the Six Nations games, right? According to all the Munster fans the last week. So, um, no, I'll joke with the teasing side. Simon Zebo actually did look; he looked definitely sharper, um, sharper the last few weeks compared to like the last. Two seasons. These look sharper than playing I know. <laughs> as a pundit on the sideline. Like <laughs> these, these look sharp compared to Blunt. Deeps uh, always look sharp in the studio for RT. After you know, <laughs> yeah. credit where credit's due. He did. Yeah, he'll, he'll so, be at Six it, Nations uh, analyzing it. Uh, yeah, maybe not playing in it. There is back three conversations because Lowe's not played yet this season, and Max seem, seems to be injured now. Uh, and if Will Addison, who's m- not been able to be fit for his entire career can stay a bit fit i think he's in a conversation uh i think i'd like i might eat my hat now but i don't think it was near the conversation he has looked sharper he looked a bit pacier don't think he did much yesterday other than two really good kick returns but the week before the leinster game he looked very good but this is why irish fans get annoyed is like simon zebo has to play one and a half games well and he's automatically back in the conversation for an irish jersey Whereas other players will play a season well and not even get mentioned, you know, and that's that is, and I can see why people get frustrated by that. And it's nothing against Zebo, although I'm not a biggest fan, but you know, it is frustrating that you know he he showed glimpses against Leinster, and because he plays for Munster, it's like oh, has to get him back in. And now it's mostly Munster fans. There's also other Munster players like Nash and Daly. Yeah, way more. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, look, that's uh, interesting on the Irish Shield. Uh, all Interpro is Munster have yet to win an Interpro. Uh, this yeah, that's season. huge. There's that's zero me, yes, four. It. Yeah, saw that on Twitter. Connacht have won two. Ulster have won three, I think. Uh, and Leinster have also won three. So um, interesting. Yeah, you wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, you know bet that I suppose at the, at the start of the season. Um, you know, the one time the Shields are actually not in play anymore, we're not bottom of it. <laughs> so that's that's pretty difficult for Connacht. But uh, yeah, huge win for Ulster. That is that's, that's big to hold on like that. I know Leinster at the end kicked the ball, but still um, very very much deserved there for for Ulster. Yeah. Uh, a huge win. Could we just talk about that? If that was Jack Carty, you would have him hanging in air square. Well, we were watching, watching we were watching it in Glins and Sam. We were a few points at the stage, and Sam goes, "I, I bet you he misses touch here." And I we started to laugh because you know I, I hate when players miss touch, and he misses touch. Uh, I couldn't believe it. as soon as he kicked it. We're like, "Oh my god, he's gonna do it!" And then I thought Addison fucked up 
by touching it. By touching it into touch, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, what are you doing? And then the game was over. So it was, uh, yeah, very interesting. I don't just target Jack Carty for that. Any player who misses touch like that should be ashamed of themselves. You've one job, you find touch, okay? Think, if you don't, you have failed. Simple I as. think there's just that one in particular. You have to get touch. The game is over. You know, if it's in the middle of the game and you're trying to really push one because you think you're on top and you want something and it doesn't work off, I like the cojones. But when you when the game is literally over, if you don't hit touch... When you're kicking from your own 25-yard line, you're not going to make the five-meter line anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just find touch and give yourself a platform. Because, like, again, you're against Ulster who have, you know, recent history of late game Pizza losses. Late, yeah. yeah. So that was that's a huge... Yeah, and if it was Jack, I would have slated it too. Because if it was JJ, I would have slated it. Terrible. That's a, that is a game-losing mistake right there. Um, but anyway... We, we digress uh, quick look at the table annoyingly Connacht still outside the top 8 after yesterday's result I thought it might springboard them up a little bit but it is very tight uh, you've Leinster in first on 34 points Benetton in second place you, I do love to see that fair play to them on 32 then Glasgow 31 Ulster 28 and this is where it gets real tight so if Edinburgh's in 5th are on 26 points same points as Bulls in 7th and Stormers on 8 Ospreys are in or sorry and Stormers in 7th Ospreys are 8th with 25 points and then you have Connacht and Munster on 24 so there's 2 points separating 5th all the way down to 10th um, and only 4 points then separating 4th all the way to 10th so it is very very tight uh, another win here and there and you will quickly move up the table as well as quickly move down the table if you lose the games as well uh, but we did look at the schedule there there is a couple of games coming up now where Connacht should be looking uh, to go on a bit of a run uh, and move up the table having that Leinster game and Munster the the, the last Interpros you know the last three weeks is I would say a good thing I think Benetton, can... Benetton aside we've played the entire top 10 have we? We played Osprey's first game of the season, played Bulls away, played Edinburgh, played, played Glasgow. Edinburgh, Ulster. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah and Stormers, sorry, Stormers, second last game of the season. Yes, so that's at home game, though. Yeah. So, that there is, you know, similar to last season when we said once you get past Christmas, there is a chance of going on a run. That is the same again this year. Obviously, you know, you still have to go and do it. But again, as if we think Connacht are the team that they are, then I don't see there's no reason why we shouldn't be still looking at that fifth or sixth place. Uh, you definitely would want to, Wes, I think it's fair to say, you'd probably want to be fifth or sixth before those last three games of Munster away, home to the Stormers, and then Leinster away. You don't want to be looking for too many points for those three games. Yeah, I think two of the games that will turn out to be key. Um, probably the most obvious one is Benetton away, as you said, but I think our next fixture now, away to Cardiff, is going to be a massive game. Um Cardiff are kind of nipping at our heels, I suppose. I think they're tenth or eleventh, but they're only three or four points behind us. Um, and they've got a, they still have a pretty strong squad, and they've always been a banana peel kind of four Connacht. And that's not to say that they've not they've been a really strong team in years past, and they're still a strong team. It just seems to be a, a team where, you know, they come to the sports ground in in April and we beat them by forty points, and then we go to Cardiff and they put fifty points on us. You know, it just seems to be this kind of fixture that we can never really seem to get. Um, it's either it's either awful or it's fantastic. You know, so I think that that is a, our next fixture now in the URC is really important, especially when you talk about the fact that the likes of likes of Blade, the likes of Mac, um, there are a few others as well who, who may or may not be available. We're kind of waiting to hear back on on injury and stuff, but. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how we now manage the two European games because that game isn't until the middle of February. It'll be during the Six Nations. Um, so odds are we won't have Mac Bundy or, or, or Bundy, Mac Bundy or Finley anyway. Um, 
I know what I would like to see prioritized, but I also understand the European competition is really important and we're not exactly going to, you know, hang ourselves in that competition either. We're going to go out there with probably the best team available and try and get some points. But um, I think we should be targeting uh, inter-six nations win in Cardiff that will really kind of put us on the trajectory, I think, for that second half of the season. Yeah, agreed. I was, I was saying this to Sam yesterday. I, the problem with all the rotation that we've done, and like we, I feel like we have done a lot of rotation, and we're still like second last in the league in terms of rotation. Uh, but I still don't know if Connacht know what their strongest fifteen is yet. If there was a, a Champions Cup final tomorrow, what would those fifteen players be? And, and that's not a necessarily a massive bad thing, but at some stage we will have to probably know what our best fifteen is. Um, towards the end of the season and that may happen over the coming weeks and months I I was only talking to you yesterday where I think actually our understanding of our best 15 has changed this year compared to last year we don't really know what the coaches want out of players because the the obvious the glaring obvious ones for me are that like if I'm picking the Connick team uh, Niall Murray and Conor Oliver start and play every single minute of every game because I, th- I figure them as two of our better players and I, I love watching the two of them play but they don't seem to be guaranteed starters in this and Niall Murray even less so seems to be around so the coaching staff definitely have a game plan in place that they feel Darren Murray seems to fit better into and uh, what that is I can't put my finger on so it's really it's a hard part hard thing to nail down from our side of things which makes it very hard for us to pick what we think our best 15 versus what a coach would think our best 15 is because these systems that they're implementing are going to take time to be implemented fully and I think that the gaps during the Six Nations will be huge for Connacht for a kind of an almost second preseason to see that. And maybe the reason why Dara has been picked ahead of Niall more often or Hurley Langton's been picked ahead of Oliver more often will start to kind of show itself after that period. Because right now, if we're picking our best 15, I can guarantee you the coaches are picking a different 15 because they seem to be doing that week in, week out. There's there's question marks and confusion over our, our uh, choices and selections every week. And as, as Murf said, I mean, it's... It- it's been leveled at Connacht quite a lot. I'm not disagreeing with you, Sam. It's been leveled at Connacht quite a lot that we are changing too much, rotating too much. Mm. And as I've said, like we saw the statistics on, on Twitter there during Christmas, we've actually used second or third least amount of players compared to the other teams in the league. So it, I think it is, as we've kind of said before, it's more indicative of how the game has changed. It's not a start in 15 week in, week out anymore. It's different. It's horses for courses, as you've always said, Sam. It's, it's using it's getting the most out of the squad that you have and, and building on that. So while I do agree that games, consecutive games, build partnerships and build performances, that that, that rotation is just it seems built into this league now. Yeah, no, it's interesting to see how it unfolds. And uh, you know, playing Darren Murray so much now might come up Trumps later in the year and he might have a storm of a game and and you know that that's part of the, the coaching experience too. But uh, we'll wrap it up there, lads. Um hope everyone had a good festive period and a great New Year's. And also, I want to tease, we may have a player interview coming up. Uh, we're working it out. Uh, we'll give one hint. Player. We'll no, we'll no, it's not a comic player. It's just a guy who's really good with women. It's Yeah, it's John Player. Uh, <laughs> uh, used to sell cigarettes. Uh, but, He's uh, going to talk to a box of cigarettes for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. Uh, yeah, we're hoping, we're finalising that. But uh, we'll give one hint. He did play yesterday. Oh. For Connacht, just to clarify, not Munster. Jeez, uh, that would be if you if you could get a like, monster player, Connor Murray, or Zebo, <laughs> and be like, "What's the story, Zebo? Like, what's what's your situation? What's going on?" Um, yeah, we will wrap it up there. But anyway, yeah, hopefully, a player interview in the coming weeks, and maybe another interview in the few in the coming weeks as well. Still working on that too. But um, yeah, uh, happy New Year's, everybody, lads! Thanks as always for coming on, and we'll be back next week.
Night-night. <laughs>